0: This just in. Breaking news is breaking out everywhere. Breaking
1: news, though. Breaking news. breaking news. Breaking news.
2: We interrupt this program. This is a national emergency. Important instructions will follow.
1: Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Carmen Maria Machado says it's a modern horror masterpiece. Timely and necessary. This is extreme horror that says something. Listen to it, it says Gabino Iglesias. Oh my God. Manhunt by Gretchen Filker Martin. Out February 22, 2022. Manhunt. 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 Creepy Crate is a horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. Each bi-monthly box is filled with over $85 worth of terror and includes at least one horror or true crime book. Delivers dread to your doorstep for just $39.99 with free shipping. Be on the lookout. The next box will have our Dead Headspace bookmarks in them. For more information, for those interested in checking this out, all you have to do is go to creepycrate.store. And just for our listeners, we have a limited time discount code. That's all you got to do is type in DEAD5, D-E-A-D, and the number 5, no spaces. That will net you $5 off your box. Creepy Crate, home to the horror and true crown subscription box. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This is Hard podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Ponick, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger. Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Bren LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are talking with the author of Manhunt. It's coming out in a week from now, Gretchen Felker Martin. Say hi, Gretchen. Hey. And this show is a part of Silver Shamrock's HorrorCast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and I'm Burying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. What got you into horror?
0: Oh, man. So many things. (laughs) Uh, I have vivid memories of being about, mm, I must have been five or six years old and hiding behind the couch during the kitchen scene of Jurassic Park with the velociraptors stalking the kids. And that shit is just acid etched into my memory. Oh, what a great Uh, movie. Oh, it's so great. And that moment is so, like, it's so thoroughly built out. You know, you have the the claws clicking against the tiling. You have the reflections everywhere. There's so much going on. Um, so that was definitely an, an early brush. But I think what really cemented me as a lifelong freak was reading Stephen King's It when I was about the same age as the kids in It. So, you know,
1: 11, 12. The... I watched the movie long before, because I was one when I I saw it like parts of it enough to be frightened of clowns for my pretty much entire childhood. I read it in my twenties, finally when I braved was brave enough to do that. But yeah, that I think that movie's responsible for uh, terrifying our generation uh, of clowns for quite a while. What what about
2: Absolutely. you, Brian? I, I just, you know, I, I think we've so many of us grown have grown up with that inherent back, you know, back of the mind notion that clowns are terrifying, and you know, certainly that's probably where a lot of it stems from. I'd have been, you know, uh, a couple of years old when the book came out, like six when the uh, miniseries came out. So, you know, by the time I got any, you know, kind of presence of it, it's it's already out there in the zeitgeist. So, yeah, absolutely, clowns horrifying. Tim Curry. I think- I think it originated the the scary clown as part of horror. Yeah. And you gotta love that whole thing that went around, what, like four or five years ago, where people were just dressing up as clowns and walking the streets. Um, (laughs) I, I feel like every town had at least one random creepy clown sighting and I remember people being really up in arms you know I work in an elementary school and we're getting memos about it like you know what to do if you see somebody in a clown suit on the school grounds like to the fact that it went that far is just it's wild and it's it's fun to look back on that and be like yeah that was real that happened
1: I forgot (laughs) about that yeah, that shit was weird. How could you forget about that? I, I, because there's so much shit that's happened since then. <laughs> I, this is so so weird. Terrible segue, but have you lived in Massachusetts your whole life, Gretchen?
0: No, I was actually born in rural New Hampshire. Um, okay, I lived for most of my life in a town of about 600 people.
1: Holy shit!
0: <laughs> yeah, but I have been in Massachusetts now for about. Uh, 12 or 13 years
1: There's so many Good writers from that state and I I never knew until Brennan Grew up like four Towns away never knew him until Twitter or <laughs> any of these people Like you Christopher Golden Bracken McLeod
0: um, Eric
1: LaRocca too, too many to name
0: oh I know Eric Lives like 20 minutes from me we're gonna hang Out this Tuesday
1: That's a, that's a lot of awesome talent in one Place Yeah <laughs>
0: um yeah it's funny new england is so tiny my best friend julia Graffaire who is also a horror author we were actually born in the same room of the same tiny little hippie birthing center wow <laughs> yeah and it's not a big place it's like a basement holy shit um yeah. i
1: you know what we we'll ask other questions later but I, i'm dying to talk to you about manhunt so like I guess, tell us how it got started.
0: So I actually started writing this in 2019 before there was even a whiff of the, the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, which made it pretty surreal to go into finishing it as the pandemic was rolling over America. <sighs> um, and what really got me moving on it was... A friend of mine read the screw fly solution, the Alice Sheldon story, out loud while we were hanging out. And it was the first time I had heard it since I was a kid. And I kept thinking, you know, as I as I listened to this story about an unknown force that drives every man on the planet completely insane to the point where all he wants to do is rape and kill the woman around him. Wow, there are 10 million stories behind this like particular upper class heterosexual lens and i really think i could i could do something there
1: that's wow and and that's really neat because you don't know you may never know how many people you inspire with your story well, here's a, hoping it's an amazing it's a, <laughs> it's an amazing domino effect like i i feel like the first person it was either Christopher Golden or Bracken McCloud that mentioned your book. Um, I was at work, then I just saw it on the phone and Bracken was talking about how amazing it was. And I go, oh shit, what is this? And I started talking about it with Brennan. And since since that point, it's like pretty much everyone in my group of circle of friends uh, for writers, they're either dying to read it or they are are talking very highly about it. And I know that there's um, strong emotion i'm super envious of of your reaction um not your reaction the reader's reactions to your book because you're getting either strongly love it or strongly hate it and that's amazing seriously Thank because you. yeah every, really, every, what i want every i want that for my debut like i i would envy that who wants like oh that's a bland taste and whatever like it every <laughs> amazing book has a strong reaction and it continues that way throughout the generation. So, I I mean, it's not, you, you know, all the greats, Brian Keenan, all of them, they're all saying like, this is the next girl next door or Jay, uh, Jeff Gonzalez is survivor. Um, I'm sure that's overwhelming, but have you had a moment to digest all the praise, even though it's not even out yet?
0: (laughs) I have been completely and totally overwhelmed by people's responses to this book, Um, you know, people like Christopher Golden and Brian Keene, who I have known and loved for years now. It, it, it feels kind of surreal. Like Carmen Maria Machado is hosting my launch event. It's so cool. These are people who a year ago were like vague celebrity names to me. Who's, who's, the only connection i had to them was their work so it's it's been very weird it's definitely caused me a lot of stress and agitation but it's exciting too and i'm i'm very much looking forward to launch stuff sort of being in the rearview mirror so i can sit down and try to internalize all this
2: that's excellent you know and, and i we wish you the most successful of launches i mean it's so cool to see that they're already talking about second printings and the book's not even out yet. It's not even out yet. And you're (laughs) you're on second printing, um, that it it, it's, it's going to be big. And, you know, like Patrick said, there is that kind of, you know, five-star one-star mentality to it. And I think that's such a great thing to strive for as an artist to evoke a response. So uh, my, my, my question on it, um, I want to talk about balance a little bit because I think yeah. a lot of people are going to pick this up and say, okay, it's, you know, getting a lot of like, um, like splatterpunky almost attention. Like the, the, the gore is everywhere. They're eating balls. Um, you know, that's kind of, that's a selling point, but this it's brimming with heart too. I mean, like the, the throughout the story, but you know, especially on the back nine, I mean, there, there are parts that just, you invest in these characters and it wrecks you. So I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that balance of, you know, gore versus like deep driven characterization. Thanks. I'm,
0: I'm really moved that, that you felt that way about the book. Thank you. Um, I think to me, this is something that I talked about years and years ago. I'm I'm a film critic and I was tapped to review The Witch when it first landed. That was Robert Egger's first film and I had been waiting for it for years and
1: it's very loved, exciting. I love that movie. Seriously.
0: It's a great movie. So Absolutely good. fantastic. And the reason that I think it's so great and the reason that I I wrote about it at the time was that if you want your audience to hurt when something breaks in the fiction you have created, you have to show them why it's beautiful first. And I I did my absolute best to take that lesson to heart. I wanted these people to feel real and to feel like people you could know and love or be annoyed with, or want to smack. (laughs) So that when it got down to You know, nail guns and Uzis, it would feel real. And you would be afraid and not want this to happen.
1: You did a damn good job. And (laughs) thank you. The first chapter, I think it's the very, the very beginning. I just thought to myself, I'm glad I'm not eating right now because (laughs) I am. Look, you know, excuse my French. I don't know who's offended by this, but I'm a pussy when it comes to eating food and watching horror movies, or in your case, re- reading well-described events because I can't take it, but that's <laughs> nothing but a compliment to you. To, I, I really want to know like with stuff like that, like we're all writers and, and I think that to some degree, all of us do some kind of research where, I mean, some are more invested than others, I suppose on what the project is, but uh what. For example, one time I was trying to figure out how uh, how people were boiled alive, and it's some crazy sick shit. Oh, it's um, so bad. So, like, I'm curious for this stuff. We're talking about like this is apocalyptic. So, like, the medicine, the technology, everything's dwindling away because it's not steam- uh, streamlined, uh, being Great. like manufacturing wise. Which means that infections are a big deal, way more than they were. And I, I know you know that, but I'm just kind of like curious what you research to 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 have focal points with um, the injuries.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in college, I was actually a European history major, and I studied the impact of the Black Death on. <laughs> Infrastructure throughout Europe, especially in England. And so I have a working knowledge base of medicine under primitive, desperate conditions. And I know the contributing factors to like mass death and death from minor injuries
2: Hmm.
0: for manhunt. I did do a lot of reading about infections and like simple field treatments and general first aid. I also looked at a ton of diagrams and like surgical theater footage of bodies in various states of distress and injury um, because I I wanted to know what I was talking about when I described these things that, that happened to us.
2: Hmm.
1: Have you read the book The Butcher and Arts by Lindsay Fitzharris? talks about uh, I might be messing up the, the exact time period. I believe it's the Victorian era. It talks about um, uh, like surgery operational theaters. Um,
0: and no, I haven't, but I can tell you that's going right on my list.
1: It's, its It's one that I haven't read yet, but only because there's so many books pulling me this way and that way. But it's uh, it just goes over what surgery was like before things became modernized. And holy shit, I'd rather get shot in the head from what I know of it.
0: For centuries, a doctor was basically a guy who had a license to murder you horribly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't I don't know what to say, but they should write a book
2: about that. You say what's changed? (laughs) Brian, chime in about Manhunt. I want to hear your thoughts, sir. Actually, I was kind of—I I wanted to piggyback off that. I, I wonder, um, doing research like that, do you find that distressful? Is that—is that hard on you, or is there a certain sense of, even if it's just on an academic sense, is there a sense of enjoyment about that?
0: There is. I have an aesthetic appreciation for it. I am not easily phased by major wounds, major trauma. I can look at those things and. slowly develop a sense for how to describe them and maybe for the, the description of, of what they would feel like to suffer. The stuff that gets me is like broken fingernails and, Oh God, you know what really kills me every time is the part in Chinatown where Jay us gets his nose cut open. Oh god. And it's it's just this like half-second little flick of a switchblade, and then his nostrils in two pieces, and it just I'm like crawling up my own spine.
1: <laughs> was it was it ramsey Campbell that talked about Pan's Labyrinth? Someone talked about Pans. Someone talked about Pan's Labyrinth, that scene where
0: Ooh, yes, I know exactly like what you mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, I'm getting chills in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, oh, the, that's the, kinda, the, I don't remember.
0: The torture scenes in Pan's Labyrinth are so rough.
1: I was the one thing I was kind of hoping for in that movie, and I know it wasn't about this, was the other world, the Alice in Wonderland type world. I was hoping there'd be like a sequel in that type <laughs> of world. But uh, I want to go back to The Witch and um, also how you became a film critic. Is that where you started in. Um, in looking at art or literature or or entertainment or anything of that nature with an analytical eye?
0: Yeah, absolutely. When I was in college, the tail end, I started to get really into the critical writing of Sean T. Collins. I don't know if you follow him. Um, He was one of the first people who was doing like serious critical evaluation of Game of Thrones. Hmm. Um, who was writing about Breaking Bad at the time and Mad Men. And I got into this habit of following his work on all of these, these series. And it completely changed my frame of reference for appreciating art. And it led me to investigating The Sopranos on my own and going back through prestige television and getting into the things that were airing at the time. Um, and Sean is, is now a really, really good friend of mine. Um, I I go and visit and hang out with him and his kids and his partner. Um, and helped me to get a few early gigs. I think my first one was at Polygon where I wrote a little bit about succession. Mm. Um, and ever since then, that's been my, primary source of of income. Um well, not exactly. I mean for a couple of years I was doing it on the side and then doing copy editing and stuff, but I've I've managed to make it a full-time gig now. So.
1: That's amazing. So what are what are your thoughts on that? I got opinions on that Soprano I I love it. I love Sopranos, Breaking Bad's my favorite show. But you're not going to hurt my feelings if you're like, they suck. So I'm curious what your opinion
0: is. on. <laughs> Sopranos is the greatest show of all time. No contest. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a fair argument, too.
0: <laughs> it yeah. really is.
1: I um, I really wish that James, James Gandolfini didn't pass away um, and they ended up making that movie. That would have been amazing.
0: James Gandolfini dying really, really broke my heart. I... I'm still so torn up about it. I'm
1: like that about Robin Williams. Uh, But yeah, James Gandolfini, I've heard from his cast that he was the sweetest man that you could work with.
0: Yeah. He was, he was apparently a, a real, a real charmer, a real friend. He had, he had a really hard time with cocaine and alcohol and lifelong struggle with depression. But, uh, just the nicest guy, I have some some friends who met him and said he was just a prince in person, would give you his autograph and stop and talk for a minute. And just incredibly gracious. Wow. Um, the thing about The Sopranos that really stands out for me, and this is something that I, I tried to emulate in Manhunt as, as much as I could, despite the difference in mediums. The Sopranos is entirely filled with people who look really fucking weird. <laughs> Like there are no catalog models on the Sopranos with with the exception of Adriana LaServa, who one is also extremely trashy Mm -hmm. and two stands out just unbelievably because she's the most conventionally beautiful woman on the entire show.
1: That actually ties into your book really well too, because with this, um comment. Um I hate when people bring up that you need good uh good people with a, a solid moral compass to be your lead role because they are the most boring characters and the Sopranos and Manhunt is a damn good example of why that's untrue because it's thank it's you. All, I could it's all could <laughs> I could not agree
0: more. I could not agree more.
1: I want to know if you or or Brennan, if either one of you have anything to touch on that, I'd be really interested to hear. it.
0: Who wants to watch someone who always knows what to do? (laughs) Who, Who gives a shit? They sound boring. It's fucking goofus and gallant shit. No, Manhunt is about people who make mistakes constantly and are fucked up and at odds with themselves and their loved ones. Because that's everyone I know. And it's at a certain level, it's everyone, everyone knows. There's never been a person who always knew what to do. That's not true on social media. I see a lot of perfect people. (laughs) (laughs) How can I forget, dear Twitter?
2: one of your better zingers man that's t- took you two years but that's one of your better ones <laughs> I'm not even sure who that was a shot at <laughs> doesn't have to be it's a shot at the internet <laughs> I, I, I you know I, I think that um you know you touched on it earlier Gretchen you said um you wanted characters that you could be annoyed by and that really stuck out at me because it's not just we don't want to read about characters like, oh, I'd like to step into Prince Charming's shoes and be this, you know, perfect, you know, maybe maybe you do when you're five, that's great. But sure. when you get older, you know, you want to read about people that have that kind of nuance, you know, even with your best friends in the world, you know, they get on your nerves sometimes. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes them 162 episodes to get a really good joke. And all of the failed ones that fall flat before that you know, get on your nerves, but, uh, it's, it, it just, it lends this three dimensionality that to about me? Of, no, of course not. Um, it, it lends this three dimensionality to the characters. Um, and I, I wonder if there was any consideration on your part. We did an episode maybe six months ago where we had a, a panel from of, of people from the LGBTQ community, talk about uh, representation in all sorts of media and wanting to bring in characters who didn't like exemplify the like, you know, 1990s next door gay couple or something like that, who could be flawed and could be messy. Was that really important to you to, you know, make sure you got in there or just characters in general?
0: Absolutely. You know, I don't want to have any part of, of being a model minority. I don't, want to have any part in being an ambassador through my own behavior or my work. I want to tell a story that's about me and the kind of people around me about the horrible queer collective houses and fantastic groups of people who've all been thrown out like trash by their parents and broke people and sex workers. That's my life. I don't, care what straight people think of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's damn that's a damn good po- pose. Uh I don't know if either of you seen it. It's a TV show that um is based in New York in the 80s that that's everything we're talking about right now is in that. I just want Yeah that's that what out. I
0: hear. I haven't haven't watched it yet, but I'd like to.
1: Yeah well if you cry at really sentimental shit get ready to get tissues. <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> <laughs> um I I want to lead us somewhere, but I don't know if I interrupted either one of you and derailed this. Okay,
2: um, uh, I, I have one more thing I want to throw I mean? at you about about manhunt. At least one more thing, um, <clears throat> sex. So obviously, you put a lot of sex into the book, and. Um, I-, I wonder if from early reviews, from early reactions, you've gotten any kind of pushback on that, like it's excessive or anything like that. And I- I'm going to preface it by saying, you know, at first, you know, I, I don't want to say like I-, I picked it up. as, uh, Oh, oh, my goodness. You know, penises. Uh, but um, it-, it was more like it got my brain turned. if the world is ending, if every moment could be the last. Y- you're going to fuck. Like, I mean, that's, isn't, isn't that the most human response that you could imagine? I I, I just, I, I wanted to pick your brain on that.
0: Sure. So, I mean, first of all, the thing that cis people and straight people always, always, always get wrong when they tell stories about trans people is that we're all fucking each other constantly. Like you cannot find a trans person who can't have sex as long as they have two trans friends. Um, and I love that about us, although it's, it's frequently a mess as you would imagine. And you will never again in your life sleep with anyone who is more than three degrees of separation from your closest friends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was really important for me to put a lot of sex into this book. I felt strongly about it. And I, there has been a little bit of pushback. Some people are like, well, well, I'm hesitant to recommend this book because there's so much explicit sex and there's more sex than I thought there'd be and it doesn't need all the sex. And I mean, I I appreciate everyone who takes the time to give me a review and to give me their honest opinion. But I'm not here to please them. That's not why I wrote the book. I I don't care. I wrote it for horny weirdo queers like me and if people who aren't like that don't care for it or don't see it as necessary that really doesn't have anything to do with me
1: yeah that's something i wanted to touch on you're and this is not anything but complimentary because this could be taken the wrong way but your attitude is is one that i would hope more people would embrace um because, and again, um, it's very relatable to every single thing, every aspect of our lives. On social media, it seems like a lot of people want to be liked by everyone. And we had Joe Lansdale on a few times. And one of the times he said, That's, uh, oh, what do you say? That's fucking narcissistic. And it's true. Like, yeah. go out on the street, walk wherever you are. Do you say to everyone you see, I hope you like me? I hope you give a shit like who the fuck Cares and I love your attitude Because you're real Um and You don't owe anyone a fucking thing And that's beautiful
2: Thanks Patrick I
1: I really would like it if people Were more real that way we could have more Bridges and not uh fake Whatever all right I'm making weird Uh
2: babbling stuff Brennan, go ahead buddy Weird babbling (laughs) stuff Okay there's the Patrick I know and love Yay (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So I I do want to throw something else at you. And if you're not interested in answering it, want to cut it, you know, just let me let me know. Um, So I I wonder about um, interpretation of artist work. You know, obviously I'm a big believer in, you know, the artist tells the story that is inside of them and they pull it from sources in their own life. Which means, you know, nobody can no no outsider can have the exact same experience and the exact same reaction. They're going to put their interpretation into it. That said, there's certainly, especially in this day and age, the occasional willful misinterpretation. Like one I've seen here is the idea that the, the both the good people on both sides argument, the, you know, Oh, I like the morally gay, uh, gray characters because I don't know who to root for where, wherein if you get through this book and you don't know who to root for, you may be a fascist. Um, yeah. I, I, I wonder what you've seen in, in your own, you know, experience as far as willful misinterpretation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have seen a good number of people who, have interpreted the book as a sort of morally ambiguous piece of fiction. And, you know, I think it's nuanced. I did my best, certainly, if anything. I think I was too kind to turfs to in portraying them. But it's not a morally complicated book. It's a book about Nazis trying to exterminate queer people, a thing that has happened in real life. If you feel conflicted about who to support, you have an enormous problem to overcome within yourself. And that problem is that you are complacent and that you value civility and appearances above the lives of the oppressed. Whenever I see that kind of thing, the most important part for myself is to not take it to heart, to not get upset or treat it personally, or try to argue with the person. But I feel disgust in my heart. And I, I feel worried too, that people are out there and <sighs> actively engaging in art, while completely unaware that their hearts are open to fascism.
2: That's disturbing to me. Yeah. It's definitely fair. I, I i won't spoil anything but i i think i i think it was you not somebody else that posted you know if you find yourself um empathizing with the character who you know cuts out another characters and again we'll leave that blank for for spoilers like you may want to re-examine your position yeah. um it's, <laughs> it's it, i don't know it's it's very I, I think you put it best and I, I'm not going to try and um, uh, quote you because I'll, I'll, I'll butcher it, but it was, you know, about uh, treating uh, appearances over, you know, the way we treat each other. And uh, just, I don't know. I, it, it, that, that, it, that bothered me the whole idea that people could look at this and it kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier with, you know, having, characters that are just uh queer characters that are are squeaky clean and it's like if they're not all of a sudden they're potentially the villain you know just by default so
0: it's it can be very upsetting to interact with mindsets Mm -hmm. like that that kind of weird simultaneously black and white and sort of agnostic thinking and i think what's going on for so many of those people who are able to look at these atrocities and still somehow feel that all of these fictional characters are on sort of equal moral footing is that they're simply willing to accept that the people who are in power should be in power and that they're entitled to defend that power. Hmm. And I doubt any of them would say that to you in so many words, but that's why it doesn't set off alarm bells for them. They see a cis woman shoot something that she has said is a threat to her and they think, well, that's good because we should protect women and we should defend them. And the simple truth is that the last 30 years of feminism have largely led us to a place where powerful white women have taken on the roles that white men have traditionally held where now they can declare drone strikes or head up police departments or lead Marine teams. And these are terrible failures for human nature. These are are dreadful, tragic things that should never have happened. And somehow we value them as mile markers on the road of feminist progress.
1: Hmm. Damn, I never thought of it like that, but that's that's really insightful. so <laughs> another terrible segue, but I was, I'm i super curious in knowing how you ended up um, hooking up with Tor. Because that's a... You, I think you said it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you are the first transgender person to have a major publishing deal.
0: I'm the first trans woman to have a major horror publishing deal. Okay. That's um, awesome. Yeah, there, there have been been many many trans people of all genders who've had big deals before me, um, but this is the first like big five horror publication from a trans woman, which is is definitely simultaneously exciting for me and also horrifying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm just like curious what's going on through your head. Is it is that a lot of? I would feel like that'd be a lot of pressure to not. For lack of a better word, fuck up. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I feel. Are under- you nervous, Gretchen? Is it a lot yes, of pressure? Are you nervous? <laughs> I'm extremely nervous. <laughs> Sorry, Captain
1: Obvious over here.
2: Yes. <laughs> um,
0: but to your, to your earlier question there, the first part of that, I hooked up with Tor basically through sheer luck. Um, I had started writing Manhunt on a whim, just as a, an exercise for myself. I had commissioned a little preview image from it uh, from an artist, Tom Horseman, who I've worked with for years and years and whose work I love and recommend as strongly as I can recommend anything. And it happened to get retweeted into my now agent, Connor Goldsmith's feed. Mm. And he got in touch with me and asked if anyone was representing me. And if I'd be interested in representation and uh, fast forward a month or so, he signed me and then we took it to Kelly O'Connor Lonesome at Tor Nightfire. who he, he said was probably the only editor in the entire field who would buy it.
1: What does that even mean?
0: <laughs> oh, that it was just that Manhunt was a weird, gross project that no one in traditional publishing wanted to touch. <laughs>
2: It's it, it's going to stand out uh, You know on the On the brand new rack On the brand new front table at Barnes & Noble Is, is, Boy, it is sure what Gretchen is. means <laughs> That's so in, cool. the best, in the best way possible um, I,
0: My book will certainly be the only one with balls on the cover <laughs> well, it,
2: maybe. maybe It
1: would be, it would be funny Hopefully. if it came with like a A knife and a fork or something It's a little <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to pronounce one of your books Ego homina, homina, Man, I'm butchering oh, this
0: Ego hominy lupus
1: that's it thank you so we had a question um, from uh, Claudia her name is um, she said what's her approach to research on work like that book you just mentioned and no end will be found also I'm such a big fan and so so excited
0: for Manhunt Well, first of all, thank you, Claudia. I really hope you enjoy Manhunt, and I'm thrilled that you've enjoyed my earlier books. I personally love writing historical horror. I've had a lot of fun with it. I'm sure I'll go back to it. For Ego, Hominy, Lupus, a large part of which is concerned with skinning wolves and preserving the pelts, I actually talked to a bunch of taxidermists Hmm. and a lot of wilderness workers of various kinds Um, Some of whom have to dispose of diseased bodies. Animals. And I watched a ton of footage of taxidermy and skinning. Those were probably, that was probably my biggest time investment. But I also had to learn a lot about daily chores in the 12th century. Stuff like weaving and how a loom works sort of before the modern mechanical systems that, that we use in ours. And it's fascinating stuff. You know, it's it's little pitted iron weights that are adjusted via uh, sort of paddle. Uh, I had mm-hmm. to learn how to build a, a bread oven using basically mud and straw. Wow. It's a really interesting period of time for work and i'm i'm so fascinated with work i love to write about work so i had to learn what a woman would do in the course of a day and that took me all over scholarship everywhere and through a lot of very weird youtube polls <laughs> um, For No End Will Be Found, which is set during the 16th century in Wurzburg, Germany, during one of the witch crazes that swept through that city. I read a lot of court transcripts from the time, which are completely fucking insane. I had to to tone them down to make them play. Wow. um, Because they're just so completely hysterical and nonsensical. And, like, this is the record that these people wanted kept. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's it's bananas. And then the other the other thing was torture. And I already knew a good amount about methods of torture just because I'm a morbid little fuck. <laughs> 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 At least you can but, admit it. Yeah. <laughs> but I read up on a a lot of different medieval techniques. I read I can't remember the author, but a book called the body and pain, the making and unmaking of the world, which is about how we as human beings describe pain in our bodies. Um, that sounds cool. Yeah, that was that has been a really influential and important reference book for me. What's so called, I man? guess uh, the body and pain, the making and unmaking of the world. So I guess I I take a pretty slapdash approach to research i'm not terribly concerned with making everything super accurate because accuracy is is just an illusion anyway i mean if you showed what we think of as the best and tightest historical novel to someone from the period they'd be like well yeah that's great but where's the little guy who goes around polishing everyone's coat buttons you know (laughs) (laughs) like they had one of those in every single house so we just never thought to write it down (laughs)
1: What was it, uh, Mark Twain, that said, first first learn the rules and then bend them or break them? Exactly. Uh, uh, Yeah, you know, like you, I have a certain period of time when I'm fascinated by uh, the American Industrial Revolution. But also, um, I don't know it as well, but the uh, Industrial Revolution in England, um, it's just, it's so cool because that period, the the, the 19th century and uh, the 18th century, there's just so much shit from from uh you know things like coca-cola, hershey to steel being mass produced to just so many things and and going with that is is the workers the working conditions why um why there are unions, why there are rights cuz a lot of people fucking died. Yeah, in terrible terrible way. like the Hoover Dam. They don't even know how many people are are buried under there.
0: Yeah, there's really no way to tell. It was such a horrific project. It's uh, it, it's quite literally a land built on bodies. Yep, one hundred percent. That's that's America for you, and even even more so, or at least as much in in England.
1: Um, I wanted to read, and Brennan, take it away after this, if you don't mind. Uh, I, I reached out to Eric, and I asked if he has anything because I know that you guys. Uh, are fond of each other. I said, "Hey, you have anything to say to to Gretchen, Eric Larocca?" And he said, um, "Tell her I love her, and uh, you already know. I'm sure, but uh, she's really oh, he's really excited to hear the interview." Um, okay, that that's the part I want to read.
0: I love you too, Eric.
2: <laughs> we are big Eric fans here.
0: Yes. Yeah, me too. I I could not be more excited about watching Eric's
2: career blow up. And and it is blowing up. It yep. is just taking off like a freaking rocket ship, um, and and well deserved. So well deserved. Yep. So Gretchen, you mentioned uh, no end will be found and Ego Homini Lupus, um, and uh, there's also Dreadnought. How how can people read those because they're not on Amazon, and that's how you know pedestrians like me know how to get our books.
0: Well, for the moment. They are still hosted on Gumroad, but that is solely until I am allowed to delete my Gumroad account um, <laughs> because I do not fuck with NFT shit. What's Gumroad? I'm Gumroad is a, a like an independent bazaar where artists can sell images and books and oh. anything like that. Um, but yeah, if you just search my name and any of the titles, it should pull right up. And they're all free.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's really awesome to know then.
0: Yeah, hope- I'll be going downloading after we hang up. <laughs> <laughs> and you enjoy them, hopefully in the near future I will be moving everything over to a central site. But if you are super anxious to read them, you can always just drop me an email and I will send you copies.
1: Okay, and we're Where can people, uh, what's your email?
0: I should write it like that. (laughs) Gretchen period Felker period Martin at gmail.com.
1: I want to go back to you critiquing movies for one specific reason. Um, Do you read as much as you watch movies?
0: No, I don't. Mostly because it takes up the same part of my brain that writing does. And I'm, I'm in the middle of finishing a book.
1: That makes sense. Okay. Well then I'll I'll stick with movies. Uh, Have you seen uh, any, anything that you're really excited about in film in any aspect, be it the uh, type or the people behind uh, films in, in horror or really any type of film that you're interested in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm very, very excited about, Julia de DeCurnau's career, she made Raw and then Titane more recently. And I am in love with her repulsive little sensibilities. I'm a very big Robert Eggers fan. I love the witch. I love the lighthouse. I'm very, very, very excited for the Northman. Um, what else is going on? I, I know that I've been excited about other things. Well, nothing is jumping to mind.
2: Uh, Oh,
1: that's all right. Um, Also, you had a, I don't know if it was an interview, a panel uh, earlier today with... I did, yeah. Haley Piper and Eve Harms. Can people listen to that too
0: at some point? That I am unsure about, um, but when I find out, I will certainly tweet about it.
2: Sweet. Uh, Brian, take us away, sir. Um... So but kind of back to the movie front, uh, I was reading an interview with you and I, there were a couple of things that jumped out that I wanted to kind of ask you to elaborate on a little bit more. And one was basically the idea that up until now, that horror has been overlooked for so long, for so many years. And I wonder what you think really contributes to that. Well, I think people like to be comfortable and
0: horror by its nature doesn't want you to be comfortable and if it's good it won't let you be (sighs) i think especially in times of really pronounced crisis which is pretty much always in america just because of the way that the country is is designed and intended to run but which has now expanded beyond its traditional points of suffering, you know, the things that people of color and queer people have endured for decades are now mainstream experiences. People are extremely poor and struggling with unavailable medical services and lack of access to food, and housing, all sorts of things. I understand why people don't want to be uncomfortable when they're watching a movie or reading a book. I understand that. And that's fine. I think that if they expect other people to apply by their personal preferences, that's that's where you enter into sticky, ridiculous territory. In general, I think that horror is the genre that is most primed to cut against the grain, to say there's something fundamentally wrong with the world and it should disturb you. And I think that's the reason that while it's always been an economically successful genre, it has never been a critically beloved or recognized genre.
2: Do you think that's changing?
0: I do. I do. Because I think more and more of America has spent time pressed face to face with misery. We've been at war for as long as I've been an adult. This country is hell. Yeah. And in the
1: roughest I'm times. Argue. <laughs> in the roughest times comes some of the greatest art. I hope that that's true. Yeah, me too. I'm just saying stuff, and hoping <laughs> something
2: something sticks to the wall. <laughs> do, do do you think that's related to uh, you know, some horror movies? And I'm thinking like uh, like like which C- like Candyman. Uh, well, you don't gaming. know where you don't know what my question is so you can't throw out examples um, <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think that's related to you know movies like that and like uh you know say hereditary being kind of touted as more more critically acclaimed more accepted by um movie critics who aren't necessarily uh only working in the horror genre or you know leaning towards the horror genre yeah
0: I definitely think so um. And of course, you know things move in trends. Horror is fashionable right now, and I'm sure that'll continue for a while. I there are many critics whose work I love and who do excellent, fantastic writing on the state of film and television. But by and large, it's a very complacent, echo chambery kind of field. It doesn't have a lot of talent in it. Mostly, someone will give an opinion on a movie and then everyone else will slightly rewrite that opinion. So I think most of it is, is honestly just down to, to parrots, repeating parrots.
1: I I sound like a broken record, but that tell me to shut up guys, but that reminds me of social media seriously. And (laughs) I'm wondering how, You know what, Uh, if I'm the new writer and I'm listening to this episode, I would really want to be because I'm trying to be proactive with these questions uh, or helpful to anyone listening. Um, What would you advise new writers to to navigate through social media if they're trying to network or whatever?
0: Well, I would say, first of all, don't try to network, make friends. Um, Yeah find artists who are about where you are in your career and make friends with them, share your art, send them PDFs of your comic or whatever, say, Hey, I love your work. Here's mine. Maybe we can talk about comics sometime. Um, That kind of thing will get you far. And while that's incidental to the, the value of having friends and fellow artists, I know that it's, it's also important I would not be where I am if I had not had the right connections at the right time. You have to both bust your ass and know the right people. So it's, it's a rough field to break into. <sighs> in terms of navigating social media, my advice to you is try not to get in fights. <laughs> Say your piece, mute the other guy, keep moving. It's, it's just never worth it
1: that's actually probably
0: the one of the absolute best things to do uh, and i do have have one final piece of advice sure do not under any circumstances make what you think the market wants make what you want to make do not agonize over whether or not you should or whether or not you're allowed to just make it if you need permission i'm giving you permission now Make whatever sick, fucked up shit that you dream about and put it out into the world. And people are going to respond to the fact that it's personal and it's passionate.
1: That's how Manhunt was made. So you two can make the next manhunt.
2: <laughs> I think personal and passionate are definitely number one and two, with three being, and you know, by the time that you get it written, the market's changed, you know. Yeah. So you you're wasting your time anyway.
1: Vampires were the new thing again and again. And then Twilight did it again. And now it's it's moved past that. Zombies were the thing. Vampires are actually back again. Are, okay, I'm staying corrected. Are they really? Yeah,
0: yeah they're, they're coming back. You should see the wave of new vampire stuff coming out this year. It's crazy.
1: Worth checking out or just silly?
0: Um, I don't know about any of it personally yet, but I've I've seen previews for maybe three or four shows just as many movies and probably four or five times that many books it doesn't have a deal yet but my friend sarah hinckley wrote a book called stain the cleanest mirror that is about a vampire theater troupe operating in paris during the time when the paris commune formed
1: oh it's a historic uh what is that called a, 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 histor- a historic novel
0: yeah that's yeah. it. <laughs> um, so it's it's like a historical horror novel. and I think it's probably one of the smartest things I've read in, in the past decade. I'm really, really hoping she gets picked up soon.
1: Holy shit. Well, that's definitely worth checking out. Yeah,
2: good luck to her. I'd love to read that mm. So vampires are back so that that novel you wrote when Twilight blew up dusted off people yeah Get it out there. Get that shit in the pipe now. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it makes me bring up uh,
1: the next one that uh, started a massive trend, uh, zombies with George uh, Romero, how he, he had he tackled social um, injustices and racism with zombies. Mm-hmm. And that had never been done in that way before. And now look at it. I mean he I heard him say, uh, like a, I think it was an interview, um, a while ago that I listened to, but he said that he didn't think anyone would watch his movie, and that's insane to think that
0: right now that it's one of the most famous horror movies ever made.
1: Yeah, and it's also funny because, um, it was the, the right. What is it? Wow, I feel so dumb right now, but what's <laughs> it called when it's uh not copywritten? Um, you don't have the rights, the, for, oh,
0: the oh, public domain.
1: Yeah, so that title, I know that was uh, that was getting used over and over again uh, back back in the '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, Gretchen, we're gonna move to uh, what are you reading right now? So, what are you reading right now?
0: Well, I am in the middle of Queen of Teeth by Haley Piper, who is one of my uh, co-readers tonight at nice. Lovecraft Books. And it's a vagina dentata horror novel. So it's it's about a woman who's growing teeth and more in her vagina. And it rules. It's it's like if the thing took place completely inside someone's pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I
2: can't that should be the tagline. I can't believe I haven't heard that tagline yet. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing.
0: My my highest recommendation. Um I am also reading Eric LaRocca's second novel We Can Never Leave This Place. Yes. Which I am blown away by and I'm sure you guys will go crazy for it. It takes everything that he did in Things Have Gotten Worse Since We Last Spoke and just ratchets it up to 211. I mean, this is real like explode your head like in Scanners type shit. It's yeah. so good.
1: Yeah, I just I finished that last week, and I just I can't. I, I'm not speaking hyperbole. He's my new favorite author. He's so fucking good.
0: Yeah, he's amazing.
1: The stuff that he does, and and I don't I don't know. I just keep thinking like he's the modern day American version of Clyde Barker. For sure. Uh, For
2: Brandon, sure. What, Brandon, what are you reading right now, Bud? Um, I have. For an upcoming episode, I am working through These Toxic Things by Rachel Housel-Hall. Uh, it is a kind of a murder mystery thriller. It's probably the best label I can put on there. One of those kind of bullet uh, bullet thriller page turners, you know, four page chapters. And you, you know, before you re- realize that you've read 50 pages. So I'm going to wrap that up in the next couple of days. And we are going to have Rachel on uh, sometime next week. And I am also, I think I mentioned this on one of our first episodes this season, but I'm working through uh, Brian Keen's entire back catalog. So I am reading The Complex right now, crazy, crazy which bastard. is pretty much just shit hit the fan, the novel. Yeah. Um, I've never read this one before, but that's exactly it from page one. Just what if everything went wrong at once? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Patrick, how about you? Uh, so... That, that actually
0: reminds mm. me i i forgot one i'm also reading the wingspan of severed hands um, by mm. joe coke which is a lot like what eric is doing in things have gotten worse it's very like lush and affected kind of gothic and it's this story about well it's hard to summarize um <laughs> but it's about this young woman who is intensely self-loathing And has this sort of bizarre, almost spiritual experience where she loses her hands and develops sort of an alternate second self. And then it's interwoven with this science fiction plot where a married couple who are estranged from one another are trying to breed some sort of bioweapon. And it's just like, I mean, this book is like taking mushrooms. It's... (laughs) It's a so to revelatory. It. Every new page is like Jesus Christ. I feel like I'm caught in these descriptions. They're so thick.
2: It's so good. And and both that and uh, things have gotten worse are both from Weird Punk, which is just such a awesome publisher.
0: Yeah, they're uh, great stuff.
2: They are. Um, I, I really want to. I, I never got a chance to read the uh, Ali C book that came out from them late last year. And that's that, mm. that's one I want to get my hands on. Uh Worth noting, too, that Joe also just had a story come out and I can't think of the exact title, but it's something like eating bees from the ass of God. Yes, um, that's
0: exactly what it is. That's a great
2: title.
0: It rules. I can't yes. wait to read it.
2: <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I, you beat me to it, Brendan. I want to say a quick shout out to Weird Punk Books. Uh, say sam is he's he's a sweetheart really nice guy and he he does a damn good job i mean his title he knows how to pick him he really does um so i'm reading uh it's called beyond the creek by nico bell um so far what i've read it's about this woman who's got a she's four months pregnant um, it's mentioned a few times, so I'm pretty sure it's going to be really important down the line that is running away from her uh, apparently very abusive boyfriend or husband. Um, I'm not sure which, but stumbles upon this house where she gets a job that is in a small town and uh, she takes care of this old man. And apparently this house is haunted, so. I'm getting the others vibe. I'm not sure if that's it, but even if it is or isn't, I still, it's enjoyable. Nico's, Nico's a really good writer. Um, and I'm just going to skip ahead to two books. I'll be reading soon. Uh, Joe Lansdale's uh, upcoming. Uh, Happen Leonard. It's called Born for Trouble. Uh, it's cool. just more tales about Happened Leonard. And this is one that I've been wanting to read for a while. Yeah. <laughs> David Demchuk. Uh, Red X haven't announced online, line, but he's going to be coming on in uh, March. Uh, actually,
0: fantastic! I love David.
1: He's a, he seems like such a nice guy. I'm sure he is, but I don't know why I word it like that. He seems like a, I said it again, he is a nice guy to talk to. Um, I met Brandon once in person last year, and him and I met at a bookstore, uh, obviously, and the me and him bought a few books, and this is one that I bought. Red X and the deckle pages you know the ones that are all i can't really get a good view of it i love that i absolutely love it and someone mentioned to um to neil uh gaiman um a while ago on twitter and they're asking what what's that what is that called and he said deckle pages and i never really paid attention to it before but i love it and i wish more publishers would do it it just kind of Gives it its own character, the book.
0: It's a very, it's a very pleasant texture.
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, listeners, if you want to check out our site where we have articles from, actually, Eric LaRocca has one of them um, that he submitted last year. It's a really good read. Uh, go to deadhead, deadheadspace.com. I cannot talk today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, and I want to go to Gretchen first. final thoughts. I
0: just want to say thank you for having me on and for all the thoughtful questions. This has definitely been one of the most fun interviews I've had.
1: That is awesome. Uh, Brennan, final thoughts, sir.
2: We want to thank you for your time. You know, we, we know you had that reading earlier. Uh, Now you're here with us. You probably want to go to bed or, you know, watch a movie or something. Uh, So we appreciate you spending your Saturday night with us. And I can't wait to see Manhunt go to its third and fourth and fifth printing Uh, matter of time.
1: It, yeah, I can't imagine it won't hit those numbers and probably higher too. So, um, my final thoughts I'm happy with Brennan. I really appreciate you. I still can't believe that I got a yes from you to come on. Um, It it means a lot. And, um, you know, I'll leave it there. Next episode, everybody, is 132. It's with uh, Rachel Housel Hall. Uh, Look her up if you're unfamiliar with that name. She's a crime writer, has a lot of excellent titles out there. Um, And, As always, if many choices in podcasts, thank you for picking us.